0: I have been preaching for a few weeks on life's greatest questions. And we started out with question number one, where did I come from? Who am I? And we said we're wonderfully and gloriously created by God. Amen? There may be accidental parents, but they're not not accidental children. God's got a plan for all of our lives. And then last week, we talked about how, uh, what is my purpose for living? And we talked about there's a purpose in message number two. And today we come to message number three. Is anything right or wrong? It's a question we ask. Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Take your Bible and stand. We're going to Judges chapter 21. Judges chapter 21. I want to call your attention to verse 25. This is what the Bible says in Judges 21 and 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. This was before Saul became king, the time time of the judges, no king in Israel. And every man or every woman simply did what they deemed was right in their own eyes. I'm convinced there's a fine line between right and wrong. A farmer is sent to jail, and his wife is trying to hold the farm together so he can get to, until he can get out. But she's not good at farm work, so she writes him a letter in the jail. She says, sweetheart, I want to plant the potatoes. What's the best time to do it? The farmer writes back, honey, don't go near that field. That's where all my guns are buried. But because he's in jail, all the farmer's mail is censored. So when the sheriff and the deputies read this, they all run out to the farm and dig up the entire potato field looking for guns. (laughs) After two days of digging, they hadn't found one weapon. The farmer then writes his wife, Honey, now is when you should plant the potatoes. Amen? Well, there's a fine line between right and wrong. 35% of Americans believe there are no moral absolute standards. 35% say there's nothing right, there's nothing wrong. 65% of Americans say that morality depends on the situation and circumstance depends on the circumstances involved. It depends on the, it's situational circumstance. There simply are no absolutes. There are no right or wrong. Now, in the story, folks, that I concluded, you've probably read that scripture that says, every man did what's right in his own eyes. But to really understand the context of that story and that verse, you've got to understand chapter 19, chapter 20, and chapter 21. Now listen, what I'm going to share with you in about three or four minutes, that won't be the end of the sermon, by the way, (laughs) is really R-rated and perhaps even X-rated. Well, some of you are listening closer now. (laughs) There was a man who had a concubine. And she leaves him for four months. She goes out and she's just a prostitute. She goes out and she just prostitutes herself. After four months, he says, Perhaps I should go get her. He goes down to her father's house, he gets her. They go to a city. While they're in the city, they meet a man that they had not known before. The man says, why don't you come to my house? We'll party. The concubine, the man, go to this other man's home. They go in and the two men are partying it up. About that time, there's a knock on the door. And some men from outside say, the man that you just brought in, send him out here. We want to have relations with him. The man said, oh, no, no. You can't have relationship with him. But what about I just send his concubine out? And she's pushed outside the door. And from that night of dark to daylight the next morning, they rape the concubine. The man gets up the next morning after partying, being with his friend. He goes out and he says to her, get up, we got to go. But he doesn't realize she's dead from the continual raping. He has an idea. He said, this is what I'll do. I'm going to chop her body up into 12 different pieces. And I'm going to send it to the tribes of Israel. And I'm going to share with them what's happened to this woman. I'm going to share with them how these men raped and abused her, and they'll be upset. So he does just that. He sends out her body. They open up a shoebox, and one gets an ear. They open a shoebox up, and one gets a foot. And they're irate. And they say, these men must be destroyed. They must be killed. But there's one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin that says, we've got to stand up for the men. And literally, they stand up, the Benjamites, stand up against the other tribes. And all the tribe of Benjamin is destroyed, but 600 men. And then the tribes have a thought. Well, all's left of the tribe of Benjamin is 600 men. They're going to cease to exist. So they need women, so the tribe will continue. So then these tribes go to another tribe, and they kill all the men, women, and children except for 400 virgins. And the 400 virgins go with the 600 men who are left from the tribe of Benjamin and the Benjamites continue. Here's what's so amazing. All this gross sin goes on, but the Bible says every man, every woman simply did what was right in their own eyes. So murder goes on, rape goes on, adultery goes on, fornication goes on. A woman's body is cut up into 12 different pieces, but nothing's wrong because everybody simply did what was right in their own eyes. And ladies and gentlemen, when right or wrong is left in the hands of humans, we're simply going to do what's right in our own eyes. That's why there must be a standard. And the standard, ladies and gentlemen, is not my opinion. The standard standard is not your opinion. There must be a standard. And that standard is the Word of God. Because outside of the Word of God, Men and women are left simply to do what's right in their own eyes, and there will be no absolutes. So what we've got to decide, ladies and gentlemen, is this a good book or is this God's book? And if it's God's book, there is a right or wrong. If it's God's book, there is a standard. I want you to understand, I believe there is a standard because I believe this is God's book. And there's four reasons why I believe this is God's book. First of all, it's historically reliable. Now, the Bible was written by 40 different men. Over a 1500 year period on three different continents Europe, Africa, and Asia in three different languages Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It has 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 41,173 verses. And all of those men are saying the very same thing. You couldn't take 40 men out of this room and get them to discuss a subject and they would all say the same thing. But you take 40 men who lived some 1,000 years apart and they're literally saying the very same thing. Why, Pastor? I'll tell you why. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You've got to understand, 40 men did not just write a book. 40 men were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told them what to write. That's why the Bible correlates perfectly, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you something. If it was written under the direction of the Holy Spirit, it's only going to be discerned under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what I know. We can't prove or disprove what's taken place in the past. All we can do is look at the evidence. Your children go to school. Your children... Go to school and they're taught about a Roman general by the name of Julius Caesar. Your children go to school and they're taught about a Greek philosopher by the name of Plato. Do you realize the earliest manuscript, and we only have 10, the earliest manuscript we have of Julius Caesar was a thousand years after he existed do you realize the earliest manuscript that we have of the Greek philosopher Plato was 1300 years after he existed and we only have seven of those but here's what's amazing nobody's trying to disprove that Julius Caesar lived Nobody's trying to disprove that Plato lived. But here's what's amazing. We have 5,300 Old Testament manuscripts. The earliest manuscript we have of the book of Revelation was 35 years after it happened. We have 2,300 Greek manuscripts of the book of Revelation 99.5% 99.5% of the original document, 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Professor John Garstang, a British archaeologist, discovered the site of ancient Jericho. He discovered two things. First of all, he discovered the walls of the city had indeed fallen so completely that the attackers were unable to climb up over the ruins into the city. Why was that so unusual? Walls do not fall outward. (laughs) When they are attacked, they fall inward. But for the only time the archaeologists ever found in this case, the walls fell outward. Just like the Bible said, because God made them fall. You read Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Isaiah said 150 years before it happened that the Medes would overtake Babylon and they would be led by a man by the name of Cyrus. That'd be like, folks, in 1860. A man by the name of President Lincoln said, in 2008, America will elect Barack Obama president. You said, Brother many that's ludicrous. That's what happened in the Bible. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you historians, listen to me closely. I believe the Bible because it's historically reliable. Let me tell you something else. Not only is it historically reliable, it's scientifically realistic. It's scientifically realistic. Christopher Columbus, the founder of the new world. You know what? I wish your children could hear this. You know what Christopher Columbus, you know what his name means? Christ bearer. The first island that he landed on, you know the first thing he did? He installed a cross. You know what he named the island? San Salvador. You know what San Salvador means? It means Holy Savior. During the days of Christopher Columbus, they literally believed the earth was flat and that there would come a point that you'd fall off the edge. But Christopher Columbus didn't believe that because he knew what the Scripture taught in Isaiah 40 and 22. It is he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. Christopher Columbus knew the earth wasn't flat. He knew it was a sphere because God said it was a sphere. For years, ladies and gentlemen, thousands of years, Scientists believed that the wind blew in a straight direction. How did, but later, they discovered that it travels in currents, that the wind travels in jet streams. If they had just read Ecclesiastes 1 in 6, The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to the circuits. In ancient times, the doctors saw no need of washing their hands, but their hands carried germs. And when they did wash their hands, they washed their hands in still water. So the people continued to contract infection. But Leviticus chapter 15, verse 13 taught him. And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water shall be clean. The name James Simpson means nothing to you. But he's the man who discovered anesthesia. Thank God for that for a surgery. Anesthesia. James Simpson saw the great pain that people were experiencing during surgery. James Simpson saw the death rate that was happening during surgery. And he said, wait, how did God operate? How did God perform the very first operation? And he went to genesis 2 and 21 and the lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon adam and he slept he woke up married amen (laughs) wait put it back and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof James Simpson invented anesthesia because of the Bible. I got on a plane a few days ago. I flew. But in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 19, look what it says. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, And the wheels were lifted up. Ezekiel, in his terminology, 600 years before Christ, he said, I saw something going, and the wheels left the ground. Don't you think anything's taking God by surprise? Let me tell you something, folks. I believe the Bible because it's historically reliable. I believe the Bible because it's scientifically realistic. But I believe the Bible because it's prophetically right. Prophetically right. Now, think about this. In Genesis, in Psalms 22 and 16, listen to this verse. For the dogs have compassed about me, the assembly of the wicked having closed me. they pierce my hands and my feet. You say, "Oh, pastor, I know what that is. That's an Old Testament prophecy of Christ being crucified. But let me tell you something. It was a hundred years later before the Romans even invented crucifixion. A hundred years later, before the Romans even invented crucifixion, but the Scripture is prophesying that Christ will be crucified. For 2,000 years, Israel had been scattered into 70 different nations. There was no nation of Israel. But Isaiah 66 and 8 said, That nation of Israel, it'll be born in a day. May the 15th, 1948, (laughs) that land was restored. That language was restored. And Israel was born in a day just like God said would happen. Daniel 12 and 4 said at the time of the end, knowledge shall be increased. From 1900 to 1950, knowledge doubled in 50 years. Ladies and gentlemen, knowledge is doubling every six months right now. Every six months, knowledge is doubling. A few years back, I was blind as a bat. But now I stand here in the pulpit, and I see Ray Bittrick sitting right back there. Thanks to something called LASIK surgery, knowledge has been increased. Knowledge has been increased. Last Sunday morning, Pastor Taylor... Pastor Cameron stood tall. Well, Cameron didn't stand the whole time. (laughs) But wait. Those men stood tall, and they did a wonderful job. And I was thousands of miles away and could watch them preach the gospel because knowledge has been increased. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I believe the Bible because it's historically reliable. I believe the Bible because it's scientifically realistic. I believe the Bible because it's prophetically right. See, ladies and gentlemen, what is right, what is wrong, it's not what you think. It's not what anybody else thinks. It's what God says. And I want to report to you today, the devil has rocked us to sleep with one word, And that word is tolerant. You've got to be tolerant of this group. You've got to be tolerant of that group. You've got to be tolerant. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to my children, I want to say to my grandchildren one day, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. We can't be tolerant of everything. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And if God says it's right, it's right. William Penn said it best. Right is right, no matter who's against it. And wrong is wrong, no matter who's for it. There are some absolutes, and the absolutes are based on the Word of God. See, folks, I believe this Bible from the beginning to end. I believe the ark floated on the water I believe the axe head floated on the water. I believe Moses parted the water. And I believe Jesus walked on the water. I believe it beginning to end. Now Let me share something else with you. And I'm almost done. Thank you. Keep in mind, it's been about two weeks since I preached. So hold on. But this book... It's personally relevant. You say, what are you talking about, it's personally relevant? Listen to me very closely, folks. This book is relevant to every aspect of your life. You said, you mean mentally this book is relevant to me mentally? Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians 4 and 6. Be careful for nothing. What does that mean, Pastor? Don't worry about anything. Worry won't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It will empty today of its strength. Worry is kind of like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't take you anywhere. Quit, I'm just a worrywart. Well, that's nothing to be brag about, sis. Be careful. For, well, how do I handle it, Brother Benny? How do I deal with this worry? It tells us. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you give it to the Lord in prayer. Well, what happens when I do that? Well, look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what do we do? Mentally, when we're loaded down with a pressure, we, we pray about it, we give it to God. And then, listen, after you pray about it, you give it to God, you change your thinking. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You do a checkup from the neck up and get rid of the stinking thinking. You say, but over many of the thought came to my mind. Listen, folks, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. No, no, I rebuke that thought. I rebuke that thought. See, the Bible works mentally. This is not the message, folks, but I'm going to tell you something. The Bible works financially. I've had people say to me, and this is not the message, I don't even, I can't afford to tithe. You come up real close. You You look into this gray hair and you look, you can't afford not to tithe. Now, I'll make a statement right here. Rock Springs Church, get this down, doesn't need your money. God's going to provide. Do you believe that, Pastor Listen, I don't mean this in the wrong way. I wouldn't offend you. And please, if you take it wrong, you, 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 you didn't get my heart in it. But I don't live off your giving. I live off my giving. Because God said if I give, he'll give to me. And I believe that. Friend... You need to give so you can see the faithfulness of God and see what God can do in your life. You need to give not for any church, not for any. You need to give for you because you'll look and see what God's doing for me because when we give to God, he gives to us. It's relevant to every aspect. Proverbs 18 and 21, A man who hath friends must show himself friendly. Do you know, folks, if you go out to try to find a friend, you won't find one, but if you go out to be a friend, you'll find plenty. A man who has friends, I tell our staff on a regular basis, there's two attitudes. Every time you walk into a room, you've got one of two attitudes. Either here I am or there they are. Here I am or there they are. I know people that can strut sitting down. And our attitude should be, there they are, not here I am. There they are. And if you go out with the attitude, there they are, you have more friends than you can shake a stick at. But if you go out with the attitude, here I am, you'll be able to barbecue a squirrel and invite all your friends over for dinner and have food left over. Now listen to me very closely. It works in your marriage. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. When you love your wife to the point that you die for, don't tell me that don't work. When you love her to the point you're willing to die what woman would want to be married to a man who loves her so much he'd gladly die for her Now look wives submit yourselves unto your own husband It's not hard to love a woman it says honey I submit to you and I want you to be the leader of her home Oh, but that woman, it's large and in charge. That really motivates you. (laughs) This is what I know. It's not hard for a wife to submit to a loving husband. And it's not hard for a husband to love a submitting wife. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. And let me tell you, folks, and I'm done. Since this is God's book, if it's God's book, and it is, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, one day I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm a good person. I don't even... I've never deemed myself one day as a good Christian. Every Sunday I preach, I think there's a lot better people out there I'm preaching to than I am. But this is what I do know. I'm going to heaven because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When I walk up before the Lord and He says, why should I let you into my kingdom? Because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing more, no, no good. There's no good in me. No good in me. But if that verse is true, Revelation 20 and 15 is also true. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friend, if a person dies without Christ, they go to a place called hell. And let me share something. In our pulpits today, we don't mention hell because we're afraid we'll offend a tither and they'll quit coming. But let me tell you something. If we had more hell coming from the pulpit, we wouldn't have near as much hell in the land. There is a place called heaven. And there is a place called hell. And Every day of my life I live because I don't want people to go to hell. I don't want you to go. I don't want your family to go. Eternity's too long to be wrong. And there is a right or wrong. And as our musicians are coming, this is the most important thing. I'll say and I'm done. I want to tell you how you don't have to go to hell. All you've got to do is acknowledge you're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin and confess your sin to him. And friend, you'll be forgiven. That's what God's willing to do. You said, but Brother Benny, you don't know what all I've done. It doesn't matter all you've done. You don't know all I've done. But God forgave me. It matters not what you've done. God's willing to forgive you, friend. It matters not. You say, but, but I've messed up so many times. It matters not. God said he'd forgive it all. Everything you've done, the Lord is willing to forgive you of today. You say, well, people may remember. They re- may remember, but God's willing to totally forgive you today, friend. And when you die... You can be assured you'll go to heaven. Today, listen to me very closely. Today could be the most important day you'll ever live. Because it's the day you ask God to forgive you. Today could be that day. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior... I want to challenge you to do that today it's the greatest decision you'll ever make and I've often said it's as simple as ABC A stands for acknowledge you've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner B stands for believe you've got to believe that Christ and his blood was shed on the cross for your sin and then C You simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin and I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know This decision is not based on how you feel right now. Because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make. And thank you for being with us today. God bless you and we'll see you soon.